What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bloodthirsty Times, a mysterious podcast. I'm your host, Octavio. And it's your boy, Will. And unfortunately, Emily will not be with us today. She is out with strep throat. So she's cheering us on, cheering us on from the sidelines. But today, we will be heading across the pond to talk about the unsolved murders of seven women in 1960s London. So let it be and join us in these bloodthirsty times. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times. No, I didn't crack a beer. No, definitely not during the theme song. That's for sure. I did not. <laughs> you know, at the end of that, I thought you were going to join me in that. Let it be. Just let it, let be. it be. Let, let it be. be. Singing words of wisdom. I don't know that much Beatles. Well, I know all the Beatles. Yeah, not a big fan. Oh, dude, what? Sorry. I, mean, I guess. Yeah, you, I think it's either you love them or you just. Well, you could hate them or just not give a shit about them. Yeah, there tends to not be like. Actually, no, I am in the in-between. I'm not like, yeah. they are great, but I also like some of their songs. So... Oh, I happen, I happen to think they are wonderful in all aspects. I love the Beatles. Hold on, Richard's getting nutty over here. Easy. Bro. Yeah, he, he heard we are going to London and decided to take yeah. it real creepy. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go real creepy with this one. <laughs> going to London town. <laughs> you going to foggy London town. You sound like you're from London. <laughs> yeah, but uh yeah, the Beatles. Um wonderful. I think they're they're uh well they they're, they're definitely big influence. Yeah, they're, right. they're irreplaceable. They are if without them we don't have nearly they don't the have modern rock. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're uh, they're great. I love I I think it comes from my dad, but yeah, I fucking love the Beatles. Yeah, I definitely have a respect for them for doing influence. what they did at the time that they did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of going against the grain and bringing us the rock and roll. Hell the, yeah. The early rock and roll. Um, yeah, it, it, it stemmed a, a ton of different um, genres of rock and roll and pop and stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Plus, uh, John Lennon and I share a birthday, so that's pretty cool. Oh, nice. Uh, me and Hitler share a birthday. That's even greater. I believe. 420? I mean, that's the... the... Oh, no, I'm the 20th. I was close enough. That's right, 420. Shit. Yeah, it's 420. <sighs> Who did I share a birthday with? Is that real? Or is that a myth? I feel like that's... Because how ironic is that Hitler's on 420? I don't know. Uh, is that his actual... I want to know if this is his actual birthday, because I feel like that's just, like, you know, built up, like, brah, his fucking birthday was on 420, man. 420, you know? 1889. Oh, okay. I guess it's real. 
It is real. I think um, I think mine is Shakespeare. Uh, so uh, Olivia Newton-John died today. Right? That's who died yeah. today? Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 No, no. Uh, he died on April 23rd. Okay. Whatever. I don't have any cool <laughs> birthday people. Just Shakespeare died on my birthday. It was what it is. Okay. Just death. <laughs> just death and destruction. Just death. I yeah, birthday. just death. Yeah. But yeah, Olivia Newton John. Yeah, that sucks. Sandy from Greece. Greece. Yeah. <sighs> R.I.P. those tight leather pants. I don't think they were tight anymore. Hmm. She's probably pretty old. How old was she? I don't know. Old? Yeah, I'm going to go with old. She lived her life. Olivia, top search. I'm trying to do quiet typing because my keys are really loud. Yeah, I got a mechanical keyboard. Uh, 73. Yeah, she lived her life. I mean, that's kind of young, but she lived her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 73 is a long time. Hmm. Oh, uh, you know, how last last week I mentioned that Dance Cam Dance had a new album, and uh, we yeah. talked about it a little bit. Uh, I posted a picture of because Tillian is not—he's part of the band, but he's not in the band at the moment because he uh, likes to—he's got some use, shit going on. Yeah, he likes to use his power to influence younger girls' decisions when it comes to sex. That's what Reddit says, anyway. Uh, and I guess it is true because he's owned up to it. But anyways, uh, I saw a picture of Andrew Wells. I think he's the singer of Idola, I want to say. If you know the answer correctly, I'm pretty sure it's Idola that he's from, Andrew Wells. He's taken over on the tour as vocals. And there's a picture of uh, <laughs> Tillian on the sides of his own band show, just staring hatefully <laughs> at Andrew Wells. Like, it looks like he's staring. I'm sure he's glad that they're on tour doing their thing. But, man, you, the the angst and like the, the you can feel the emotions on his face he's just like fucking fuming yeah it doesn't look happy about it <laughs> no it's, but you know you'd be a douchebag and that's what you get dude i don't, I don't yeah. feel bad for him at all nope no, you i do love dumb his shit voice and... i love his voice love the music but man you got to separate the art from the artist i guess just i mean mm-hmm. like i said last time dance Gavin dance has horrible luck with singers johnny johnny craig is one of the most beautiful voices i've ever fucking heard but he is a piece of shit human being yeah, I guess um, can't all be good. People, not good people. Correct. Yeah, but yeah. Other than that, I don't. Do you have any other London news? Since we're in London, do you know anything about London happening right now? No, I tried looking at stuff, and it was all from like last year. So I, I looked it up before we started because I was curious. Two uh, percent of our listeners come from uh, the United Kingdom. Ooh. Yeah, two percent. Most of them come from England. But, uh, or is that still part of the United Kingdom? Maybe I should get with their times and understand uh, them more. They haven't had Brexit, so. Is it not official yet? Uh, I don't think so. I, again, I could be wrong. Correct us. Cause yeah, we're just dumb Americans. I'm normally wrong. Yeah. Most of the time I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Don't let my girlfriend that, hear that. <laughs> according to, uh, according to our analytics, uh, 2% of our listeners come from, from that area. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Hopefully they'll they'll know what I'm talking about in this when I talk about places and streets and this because I don't. I just oh, yeah, I, no I, I read it. I read it and I was like, okay, I guess he was on that street. I don't know where that is or you know what's up with the area. So uh, from the top, if I'm wrong about any of this shit, I'm so sorry because I don't know 
I don't know anything like personal about your guys's uh, city, uh, country. So apologies at the top if I fuck this up. <laughs> uh, I guess we're going to try anyway. So here we go with the London story. You ready? Let's do it. All right. So on Friday, November Cheerio. 8th. Whatever they say. <laughs> yeah, I think they did at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Cheerio. And we got to stick with the internet memes. A bottle of water. Bottle. A bottle of water. Bottle of water. Yeah, for the longest time when I was trying to speak uh, England English, I would just say "hello, pop it," because of Jack um, Jack Sparrow's movie uh, "Pirates of the Caribbean." That's what it's called. Yeah, that's all I know about. <laughs> We're starting off great. We're um, off to a great start. Wonderful start. So, all right, here we go for real this time. On Friday, November eighth of nineteen sixty-three, as the song "She Loves You" by the Beatles tops the charts for the tenth week in a row. A crew of city workers were clearing out a plot of land next to the Thames that had been used as a trash site since the end of the World War II. Bombers would use the Thames as a guide for where to drop the bombs. So after the war ended, the neighborhoods along the river were not very well off, as you can imagine. Just wherever the bombs hit, just clearings of land, just rubble, debris everywhere. So and I and from what I understand today, it's a pretty posh area. I think is what the word is. Uh, posh. I, yeah, I think yeah. that's the proper British term for it. Yeah. yeah, and and I'm pretty sure it is a posh area now. There's a lot of gentrification that's happened since the '60s. But uh, again, if I'm wrong, I remember I am a silly American. Uh, in the early 1960s, though, the city started finally clearing these bombed areas out. And as things were being cleared, the locals were starting to use these empty lots as like parking lots or car parks, as they called them. Um, you know, the play areas, they, they were just they hadn't quite started building on it yet, but they were in the process of clearing out all the debris from the war 20 years after, you know, the war ended. Mm-hmm. It took them 20 years. I mean, I understand. I've never been through a war-torn city, but I imagine it takes a long time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know how long it took uh, Hiroshima and and Nagasaki, Nagasaki. Yeah. to fucking clear up that shit. But <clears throat> they, uh, I think it's in uh, Hiroshima. Correct me if I'm wrong. They still have a building that was left standing after the bomb was dropped. Basically, directly, it was directly over where the explosion happened and it was still standing and it's an actual like monument you can go see and it's fucking crazy to think you would that think it's still it's standing. Still standing. Knock it down because of all the uh, uh, radiation. Yeah, no, it was just like the cone of the explosion just didn't touch that because it was directly overhead. Oh, oh okay, cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It got it's still some there. damage, still but... Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I watched a whole documentary on it. So I like, I like World I War II. Up. Yeah. A lot of people... I, I like World War II as well. Yeah. Not, I don't like not it because it's part. crazy. Right. Uh, lo- it's lots of death. Lots of history. Lots of things changed in that time period. A lot mm-hmm. of things happened. Uh, yeah, there's as a, a human species. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, they have a really good series that was on Netflix. I don't know if they still have it on there, but it's World War II in color. <laughs> fucking great dude yeah uh have you ever seen uh disney has a show on on disney plus called something about clearing the waters like uh bringing back the waters where they they digitally um clear the water out of lakes oceans rivers and stuff to because they go in and scan 
and get super detailed scans of the ocean floor. And then they recreate it digitally by taking, quote unquote, taking out the water digitally. And it shows all the things that are down there. And it's a lot of obviously sunken ships, World War II history going on. They found a lake where a spy mission was thwarted in like, uh, I want to close to Germany, I want to say, mm-hmm. is a lake. There was a, a ship that was sunk with uh, what's called heavy water, which is super important for like bombs and stuff like that. They found it sunk, but I think English spies sunk it. I could nice. be completely wrong, but I know it was sunk with important materials and it, it actually saved a lot of lives because they had done that. But yeah, uh, World War II history is super interesting. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, on this Friday morning, the crew set out to clear another lot and they bought they brought their usual protective gear, you know, head to toe at whatever 60s protection is, gloves, headgear, probably maybe a respirator of some kind. Uh, and they brought this because at this point they were really used to clearing these lots out. And they knew that they were used as dump sites. And they, these places were used uh, for all kinds of things, rotting food, uh, maybe an animal cleared in and died. So a lot of, a few times they found um, homeless people, you know, they kind of just are sickly and then they go in and try to find shelter and then they end up just staying there forever. You know, it's happened. They found these bodies. And, you yeah, know, I mean, just 20, 20 years of right of rubble. Yeah. Rubble. So, I mean, like I said, people use these as trash sites as well. They, they were just food, uh, surplus food from restaurants, whatever it was. They, it was constantly smelling bad. So they, they brought their protective suits. And, um, you know, load after load. And at this point, in the 60s, a wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow into a, a big truck. And then they would take breaks whenever the smell of it all got too strong. And um, after their break, I think they had tea. <laughs> During the break. Tea and crumpets? Anyway, yeah, they had tea and crumpets. Uh, so they got their little break, put all the stuff back on, and they went back to shoveling, right? Because, you know, they have these wheelbarrows and they shovel the garbage into it. Well, one of the guys, the shovel hits something soft. And when they start to move uh, the shovel a little bit around, the smell kind of escapes. And the smell that they got was way stronger than any dead animal they've ever smelled. And the crew wondered... Um, if this was many, like maybe they came across uh, a dead animal, of like something bigger that they're not used to, or maybe they came across one of these homeless people. Uh, so they started moving the rubbish away with their hands until the naked decomposing body of a woman was revealed. And the only thing it had on was a single nylon stocking. What a find. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't want to, uh, I'm sure that's a risk for anybody clearing debris from anywhere to come across this, this potential body somewhere, anywhere, literally anywhere, but I don't want to be that person. I, no. no, especially when it's decomposing. Right. Cause that's no, a, like, that's a smell. Yeah. Like I said, it wasn't odd for them to find a dead body. Like it, it was few and far between, but it was definitely something they were, familiar with so but this one was much different this one um they could tell that this was not some somebody laying down and just staying there this was purposely placed here this was a a murder it was clear Mm -hmm. so the police were called immediately the problem was that the city workers had been moving around all all around like they'd been moving all the trash all day and shoveling trash away and moving things and, and carting them off so the crime scene itself was already destroyed so they had to focus on the body itself for clues. 
Luckily, they were able to identify the woman as 22-year-old Gwyneth Reese from South Wales. It turns out that she had been a runaway when she was a teenager and ended up as a sex worker in London. And the last time that she was seen alive was when she was getting into a van on September 29th. The other girls in the street said she was pregnant and was looking to get an abortion. But uh, just a fun fact, at this time in 1960s uh, London, those are super illegal. And uh, Fast forward to 2022 in the United States. Fun fact, illegal. illegal. Yeah. Uh, so, and that in early 1960s uh, London, it carried a life sentence. And in 1967, all that changed and it became not illegal. And that's never changed since 1967. It's never changed. I wonder what that's like to have a constant government like that. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice. I think, yeah, we just have to worry about a queen dying and a kid that will take their place. Yeah, it's weird. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, you give and take. You 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 know, you lose a little, you give a little. You know? mm-hmm. So during the autopsy, they found ligature marks, meaning she had been strangled and she was also missing a few teeth from blunt force trauma. And so, again, obviously, something nefarious was afoot. So they were already, uh, sorry. Um, they were already on the murder train basically yeah mm, yeah they from the start and missing teeth are like all right this is not a not a normal uh dead prostitute sex worker sorry <laughs> they said it's the book they said prostitute a lot in the book oh do they okay oh yeah a lot uh that book was written a little bit ago but anyways uh so this was the start of what came to be known as the hammersmith nude murders or the much better name was jack the stripper since these two were the murders of sex workers that went completely unsolved. It just cracked me up when they call him the stripper. I'm like... The, just the stripper? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. So he was the stripper or... <laughs> Dude. And uh, I'll go into it in a second. But it's, it, yeah, the name of it definitely... I thought it, it wasn't real. But so although the stripper wasn't as brutal as the ripper... And the Ripper, Jack the Ripper, was just 75 years earlier. That doesn't mean he didn't strike terror into the locals all the same. Uh, and for this episode, my main source was a book called Exposing Jack the Stripper by Fergus Mason. And I'm real, dude, this is what I was talking about. I'm not going to lie. When I first saw the book, I wasn't even sure it was a real true crime case. I, I actually thought it was like one of those spicy novellas. You know what I mean? Because like a playoff Jack the Ripper is like, oh, Jack the Stripper, you know? Uh, yeah. I thought it was like a, a one of those, um, like one that uh, fucking like uh, the, Fabio, the, the one that Fabio would be part of. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. It's just like sexy books for women. I don't Get know. I'm all hot and bothered. Yeah, so that's what I thought it was, and then especially considering the the cover art is like a just a dude with a creepy mustache, but he's like not a bad looking dude. You know what I mean? He's just kind of creepy. He has like a a top hat, kind of like Shadow Man type looking thing. Uh, it's it's interesting. So I I originally definitely thought like oh they're just having a laugh here, uh, taking the piss to use colloquialism of of London, and it's not real. So then I actually had to Google it. And yeah, the the Hammersmith murders are definitely a real thing. So at, once I googled, it, I was like, okay, I'll read this book. But again, like I'd never even heard of Jack the Stripper before, and but it's, it, it's real. I. It's real. He's a real serial killer. But it, uh, it Jack the Stripper. 
<laughs> and it just yeah, gets to me. It's funny. <laughs> so on February 2nd of 1964, a, a happy boat trip down the Thames was abruptly turned into a horrible nightmare when they spotted something weird floating near the dock. When they got a closer look, they realized that a nude body was wedged on one of the floating pontoons. And again, once an autopsy was performed, they found water in her lungs, which makes sense since she was found in the water. And obviously she had drowned. However, what was weird is that she was fully nude, which led the police immediately to suspect foul play. Then once the autopsy went a little further, they revealed ligature marks and she was also missing a few teeth. So, you know, that also probably made the cops a little suspicious since they saw the exact same thing four months earlier. Then the suspicions just grew deeper when they identified the body as 30-year-old Hannah Tailford, a sex worker. The last time she was seen alive was January 24th, and the autopsy revealed she had been in the water at least a week. I think the, um, the crazy thing is finding water in the lungs, so even though she did have ligat- ligature marks, uh, she wasn't dead when she was disposed yeah, of into the river. Yeah, definitely means that she was alive when she was in the river. Um, probably too weak to save herself because she had been uh, assaulted yeah, or she beforehand. Was un- unconscious. She got so she's probably half strangled, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Uh, Meaning she probably was she was fighting, he was strangling her, or she was she strangling her, and then yeah, passed out, went limp, and they're like, oh, okay, she's dead, and threw her in the river, mm. but also took some teeth out. Yeah, that's the constant. There's there's several things that we'll talk about that uh that's what makes them know that this is a nefarious thing going on it's definitely not just you know freak accident after freak accident mm-hmm. there's this very constant very exact uh, methodology here so when the when they looked into her past to see if there was possibly anything that might be clues they found that she had also ran away from home and ended up doing sex work, but sometimes that line of work didn't quite make enough, so she had to resort to stealing. And one time, she even tried to sell her own unborn child, like in the classifieds. She tried to sell her child. And she ended up, uh, they found out she was in the adult film industry and would sometimes work at parties for people who were much better off, and she was basically entertainment. Whatever whatever that means uh, in her line of work. Yeah, bring a, a stripper. People have strip, stripper parties? I think she's probably more than a stripper. Yes. Escort, I think, would be the escort word, Escort right? is, I think, yes. I think yeah, escort, escort is the... When you go to, when they go to parties and private events, that's an escort. <clears throat> it's different. Yeah. 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 See, we're smart. Right. We know different classifications. Yeah. Of I know what a is, and then I also know what a hooker is, and then I also know what an escort is. What are they... What are the ones that are legal, like in New Amsterdam? Like brothel workers? I think those are sex workers. Yeah. What would their title be? I think I think it is sex work now. Sex work? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because brothels are legal in quite a few places. Yeah, like the Bunny I think, Ranch I think it's all, Nevada. Yeah, I think it's all classified as sex work, I believe. I think prostitute and hooker are now the offensive terms. Yeah, that's why well, I try and... Yeah, we, we we try, we've been work, trying yeah. since the beginning to We're say sex worker. People. If any sex workers are listening... If I mislabel you, I apologize. I don't mean it. Yeah, it's just things that have been ingrained in us. I mean, this whole uh, changing your words to not be offensive is a fairly new construct. It's pretty new. When we were growing up, it, it wasn't a thing at all. No, you would say the R word, the F word, 
and mm-hmm. just that's that was the talk and you knew like oh okay i'm not using it to offend other people other than the person that i'm calling an r word or the f word right uh and then when you realize like oh if someone else hears it it might offend them oh, okay i should probably, probably shouldn't say it out loud to right in a group it's of people like, anymore I, now we don't like people don't say like gay is a negative term now like that's something else we've oh, learned oh yeah when you're saying like hey quit being gay or something yeah yeah the man i growing up especially in middle school gay this gay that dude everything was gay it's just and then now i think like my kids in middle school and they i don't hear any of that talk at all like we've definitely evolved mm-hmm. <laughs> as a species oh for sure i mean <clears throat> the words in general are always are always changing like, right uh fag was never um a gay uh like gay bashing back in the day yeah, right people you say it was a bundle of sticks yeah or a cigarette like hey can i bum a fag yeah and then, yeah, yeah. and then it just kind of morphs and changes, and now it's like, hey, we don't say that word because it's offensive and it offends people. Yeah, there's really, I mean, there's really no other point to use that unless you want to offend somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, there's, there's other words that mean the same thing that is just as easy to say. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but I think I think my point in not doing it is just that the purpose of doing it is just like to offend someone on purpose. So, anyways, I don't know how we got off on a tangent on on words. But. I don't. Uh, sex <laughs> yeah. worker. Why. Sex worker. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyways, back to the story. Uh, two months later, on April eighth, the body of twenty six year old Irene Lockwood was found naked on a muddy beach just three hundred yards away from where Hannah's body was discovered. During her autopsy, she too had ligature marks, and just like Gwyneth, the first victim, Irene's friend said that she had been looking to get an abortion. Again, abortions are legal, so these would be back alley abortions. So uh, what I, my point in saying that she's trying to get an abortion is that they are inherently dangerous at this time and casualties happen because they are not done in a professional setting. Yeah. Yeah. So these, they, when they noticed that she was pregnant and they had her friends told them that she wasn't pregnant, the police did consider this was just a regular old murder, uh, a regular abortion, abortion, sorry, uh, gone wrong. And it wasn't necessarily a murder. I mean, it still is a murder, but you know what I mean? Is is a little bit yeah. different. Yeah. It would be a quote unquote malpractice type of thing versus. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Straight up. Purposefully. Just, I kill her. Yeah. yeah. So when they looked into uh, her past, they found that there wasn't a shortage of people who would have liked to see her gone. She actually used to run a scam where she would take a John to a place and they would strip naked, then get busy in a different room. And while she was handling business in the other room, she would have an accomplice steal whatever they could from the clothes that the John left in the first room. Ah, uh, yo, Kansas City shuffle. Yeah. So there was there was no short. She ran all kinds of scams. This is not the only one she would do. So there wasn't a a lot of people would have liked to see her handled, uh, taken care of. You know, so, you know, this the type of stuff that complicates these uh, investigations because now the, the net is much wider than it used to be. Mm-hmm. So at this point, aside from the similarities I've already mentioned, authorities found way more connections, like way more personal connections. So, so far, all three victims were five foot two, all of them. All three victims had naturally dark hair, um, but one did have their hair uh, dyed blonde. And then all of them had STDs of some kind. Plus, they were found along the same stretch of river. 
Wait, so one had died blonde. How did they know? I guess they, I think, they had to have known her and knew that she had natural dark hair, but dyed it blonde or they could see her roots. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's a possibility. I really don't know. I, there's no, I mean, they all look the same and they're all sex workers. So that's probably, he just sees a sex worker. And if she looks a certain way, probably goes after her. So I don't know. Uh, hmm. I think the fact that they all had STDs, I mean, they, they're in sex work and this isn't like condom time. You know what I mean? This is nineteen sixty one. Yeah, this is free love. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not unheard of. Obviously, their line of work is kind of one of the dangers. So I don't, I think he just went up to women. If they were sex workers, they were automatically a target. But if they looked a certain way, they were a victim to whoever this dude was. And and the th- thing is, this is 1964. We're in 1964 London at this time. And almost every other serial killer story we've told before the term serial killer uh, was actually coined, which was, I think, in 74, something like that. Uh, so they didn't really even consider serial killing a thing until the term was like, you know, the, the mind hunter, the, the, um, Quantico, uh, FBI program. Yeah. When they uh, started profiling. profiling. Yeah. Right. So people didn't really think of killing in a serial way, like sequence killers, you know, it, usually it was just a coincidence. Off. Yeah. They're like, yeah. Hey, these all kind of seem the same, but the, the thought of, Hey, this is one, one person, person doing the mm-hmm. same murder the exact same way wasn't really a, 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 Prevalent a, a, idea. A, yeah. It wasn't a thought then. And it was, there was no name coined to it yet of being a serial killer. So, but they probably knew like, Hey, this might be the same. These all kind of are similar. Yeah. That's, that's, one what I found, that's what I found interesting about this police force is they were kind of like, this is the same person. Like the serial killer like was automatic. Like this is probably the same fucking person. And like the book says like the, this mid 1960s, the police in Hammersmith, London knew they were dealing with the serial killer and it's, it's crazy. And so their, their search and their investigation was more concise because then they started thinking, okay, let's find a connection. You know, they, they searched the girl's past. They, they went to find some common ground between all of them. And they did find that in two of the cases, a man with a name with the name Kenny or Kenneth, you know, both pretty much the same name, just how you say it. Uh, they he showed up in two of the cases out of three, so Kenny was immediately suspect number one. They really wanted to talk to Kenny. Uh, Kenny. And when, when they looked into Kenneth, uh, they found that he ran an illegal drinking club at a local clubhouse. And um, what I didn't know is that drinking at this time in London was strictly controlled, and like serving stopped at eleven p.m. And it, I didn't know that they that it was like I didn't, a strict. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, so people would go to private places, you know, kind of like an after party to keep the party going. But uh, old Ken here had access to a full bar because he worked at the clubhouse, so he was raking in the dough. He just would it's open like a, the doors. It's like a speakeasy. Yeah, it's essentially a speakeasy. Yeah, he had it was kind of away from the public eye because it wasn't like a he had tennis courts and all this kind of stuff, and it was like a men's clubhouse with. Sp- sports balls and fields and stuff. So it was yeah, kind of racquetball. What do they play back in the day? What's the, the one where you have a little club and you hit a ball through a hoop? Oh, I don't know. You never played that? No. 
you have like a heavy heavy ball and a mallet and you set up a course oh um, croquet croquet yeah croquet yeah croquet and then yeah i don't know whatever else they had so they had all these courts out there right so it was kind of away from it so ken had to set up an operation where he would sell after 11 p.m you can go there obviously there was an upcharge and he was just people wanted to drink obviously you know prohibition doesn't work any kind of restrictions don't work so he made a ton of money but aside from serving illegal drinks, the clubhouse provided lots of dark corners on the tennis courts and other places for sex workers to do their business. So it's possible Ken knew these women. When they actually met with 57-year-old Kenneth Archibald, is his full name, Kenneth Archibald, he flat said he didn't even know any of the three women. However, what the police already knew is that his number was on a card in Irene Lockwood's apartment. So they already knew this, this guy's lying. They'd already knew, they'd already found, figured that out. But he said, no, I don't know these women. Get out of my face. Yeah. But then, we'll talk about the, the suspects at the end because they do mention him mm-hmm. and kind of what he did. Oh, yeah. Well, I, right I, I go over, I think, yeah, right about his. Yeah. Uh, so uh, April 27th, Ken walks into the local precinct and told the detective, I need you to do your, your most. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Oi, I killed her. I'm here to confess. Yeah, it's a little Australian, but I'll take it. So, <laughs> talking about Irene, he said, Yeah, he met her outside the Chiswick pub, and I argued with her about money, so I strangled her in a rage. I did, I did. <laughs> I actually added the I did because it sounded more English. Yeah. <laughs> in a rage, I did, I did. Yeah. So the police decided this was close enough of a story to match what the autopsy showed, so they arrested him for murder. Some people had their doubts since Ken was known to have psych issues. He had mental health issues and people knew about it. And later during his trial, he retracted all of it. And he said he made it up during a depressive episode. The jury saw he was telling the truth and he was let go, which is probably the right call because while this was all going on, the murders had not stopped. In fact, three days before he confessed, there was yet another murder. I was just hoping we'd crowbar in the uh, murder, murder, murder. <laughs> I didn't even think about yeah, it. Yeah. Dang it. Damn that. it, Octavio. I know. I, this was such a last minute thing. Uh, dang it. Well, we can actively add that if you Google it. Oh, no. It takes a long time to transfer it. Yeah, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, yeah I don't think I have it. Saved. Oh, yeah. I can take a look oh, while yeah. you're talking. I don't think I do. Misstep. I think it's too uh, far. I think it's probably on my old computer. Yeah, probably. So since the police were aware of a serial killer in the area and all three of them had been in the same vicinity, they obviously upped patrols along the river so that hopefully the killer would see all these extra cops and be like, Oi, I gotta stop killing a do. <laughs> There's a lot of cops out there in it. I'm terrible at voices. It's okay. Uh, you try it. Go. You threw in the, uh, oi, in it. I'm going to stop killing. I, I did, I did. Or <laughs> if I continue to do so, I'll be caught. I will, I will. <laughs> terrible. I that's no, awful. It's ter- that's so bad. We're both bad at this. So, yeah. So, they were hoping that he would stop killing altogether. Or at least if he continues to do so, he will be caught in the act since there were so many patrols out. And it, is, it just didn't stop him. However, it did lead to the police finding an actual clue that linked all the murders. But guess what? Doesn't matter. 
and is never caught. This is an unsolved case, if you'll remember from the beginning. That is true. It is unsolved. I looked at it. <laughs> Couldn't solve it. It remains unsolved. unsolved after after looking unsolved. at it, still unsolved. You know what? I looked I, at it for a couple hours today and got to tell all you. All the puzzle pieces. I said, you know what? Inconclusive. Hmm. It's probably the right call. No yeah. one knows. Thanks. So on April 24th, 22-year-old Helen Bartholomew was found naked in an alleyway in Brentwood, which is over a mile northwest of the Thames. This time, the crime scene was a little different. Uh, she wasn't in the water, just for starters. She was filthy, which suggested to the police that this wasn't the site of the murder, just a dump site. And it was likely she had been kept somewhere else for some time. Still, they were still the same ligature marks, and she was a sex worker with an STD. But now, aside from all the commonality of the other murders, there was an actual clue that was left all over her body. Upon closer examination, they found paint splatter, like microscopic paint. paint like it wasn't visible to the, to the naked eye, but since this is an autopsy, they did get, real, get close up to her skin. They found paint splatter all over her. Um, and like I said, it was more like a mist than like a full-on splatter, but it was in all kinds of colors. Like it was like a rainbow splatter. And this led detectives to believe that she was kept near a workshop close enough to get paint debris on her and narrow the search, but not as much they, as they would have liked since there were hundreds of places that painted in London. Yeah. Uh, that's a, <clears throat> it, it's a clue, but also not a clue because of right. that, that it's just kind of narrows it down, but there's still tons of places that, could be a possible location for where this murder took place. So, yeah. So, I mean, it helped, but it definitely didn't help. So at this point, authorities are getting a little desperate and decided to appeal to those who probably, probably knew more than they were saying because of a baseline mistrust of the cops. And that was because they were sex workers and these sex workers in the area, um, they were reached out to by the police and you know there was a, a um, what do they call it? Uh, televised. Um, what do you, when the cops talk to you, they let out a. Well, I'm trying to help you out here. I'm. I can't think of what I'm trying to say. But so yeah, they they just created a a, a way for tips to come in anonymously. You know, they like had reached out to. Yeah. So, but they had started like on TV. They reached out for help to these people. They made like a mess. They sent out a message to these sex workers saying, "Hey." This tip line is here for you. No one will ask for your information. Just if you have any information, come forward. You won't be in trouble. And so with this, they made it clear that any information they might have would be in their best interest since the killer was targeting only sex workers. It worked to an extent. They had about 50 people come forward with information. I mean, none of it was useful, but still it was worth a shot. Yeah, I think once you start making the plea like, hey, you're not going to be arrested for doing your profession. Um, but just know that you are being targeted. So yeah, it's in your best interest, best interest yeah. to any information to help us out. Cause you don't want to be dead. You don't want to be murdered and we want to try and catch this person. So come on. Yeah. Help us and out. Like I said, not as many people as they would have hoped. I think there was like, 70 people total because 50 of them were sex workers. And I think like 20 of them were men who came forward with any information, but again, doesn't matter. 
It's like when they Once. do uh, like gun buybacks. Yeah. Because <clears throat> you can bring in an illegal gun, and they're not going to arrest you for it or ticket you for it. They're like, hey, just we want to get them off the street. It's the same. Yeah. Same mindset. Like, hey, we don't give a shit what you do. Just give us the information, and we'll use it to, to help yeah. you guys out. So. so early in the morning on July 14th, the nude body of 30-year-old Mary Fleming was discovered on Chiswick Street, propped up against a garage door. Just like the last body, Mary was a mile away from the Thames. Mary's body showed signs that she had struggled but unfortunately lost the fight. And she had the same marks as the other four, but more importantly, the paint splatter showed up again. This time, though, according to people interviewed in the area, the guy who found her had just barely missed the car that had dropped her off because they said that they had heard a car backing up quickly down the street just minutes before she was found. All right. A little more information coming in. Mm-hmm. Now they have yeah. a vehicle. So they're like, okay. Dropping off the bodies in a vehicle. All right. Don't know the type, but they know. Okay. Another piece to the puzzle. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Like things like that always, like I always think about the person involved. Like, damn, dude, if he knows about this information, how guilty. Like, man, I could have saved somebody or maybe not saved him, but had more information. Like just a few minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it is what it is, but it's like, I can't imagine the feeling like of the person who did find the body. It's like, man, just, just the way things work out, like the butterfly effect that we were talking about a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, slight tangent because we're talking about it. <clears throat> um, I did a strike team up in uh, another county because they're, um, they don't have enough ambulances basically to answer their, their 911 calls. So <clears throat> I got to go up there and kind of experience this new whole system and see how they run things. And <clears throat> one of our calls came out as a full arrest, a cardiac, yeah. dead, you know, cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, and we showed up, went to the room, and uh, this person uh, was obviously dead for a couple days. And it was one of the grandchildren that had showed up because they weren't answering the phone. They hadn't heard from them in a couple days, so they did kind of like a welfare check. Welfare check. And found them in between the bed and the wall. Oh, no. Um, And same thing, running through their head, right? Mm. Shit. If I didn't hear from my grandparent, normally they're good about, you know, talking to us every day or whatever. And it's been a little, it's been... Hey, I didn't hear from them today. Yeah, a couple days is a long time. So in their head, it's like, oh, man, if only I reached out sooner or... Had gone to check. Yes, it might have been a different outcome. So I can kind of understand that that feeling of like, oh, crap, man. If I was there a minute earlier, I would have seen the car and got a description and a license plate. Yeah. Or seen the person dumping the body. Yeah, even... I don't know if that's, I was about to say even better, but I don't think that is better. (laughs) I mean, maybe for the overall case it would have been, but no, I can't imagine that being better. No. But with uh, yet another sex worker found dead, the public now was crying out for the police to do their job because I should have talked about it, but as with usual historical cases, sex workers, no one gave a fuck about them. The fact that they were sex workers, this is probably how it went on for so long. But now it's uh, the press has got a hold of the story, right? And so now it's known that there are 
this is the same person. Now it is known that there is a serial killer among them, and they do give a shit about that. They don't give a shit about the people he's killing. I'm not I'm going to sugarcoat it. They don't give a fuck that it's sex workers killing. They just give a fuck that there is a person out there serial killing. Yeah, murder. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with the press, when the press got a hold of the fact that there were so many similarities, the paints, the, the teeth, it, it was also similar and almost identical every time. Um, you know, they were all found nude. They in, actually, because of the way they, they were all found nude, they dubbed him, the, the press dubbed him Jack the Stripper. And this wasn't because he killed sex workers. I, when I read the title Jack the Stripper, I thought maybe he was because he was killing strippers. Yeah. But that, that wasn't the case at all. It, the case was be, they called him that because he would strip the girls' clothes off after killing them. And then I was confused by this too because they are sex workers after all, right? So mm-hmm. being nude, being shouldn't nude be, shouldn't be that out of the norm. Strange. But it turns out that a huge portion of their income came from fellatio. Um, because at this time, uh, getting getting giving head was seen as dirty. Like good girls uh, don't do that. Yeah, oral sex. Good girls don't was, do that. Was a taboo. Taboo. Uh huh. Especially like, at this time, like it was anal. It's like a it's a taboo. Right. Sex act. Right. So if you were a man and your wife girlfriend wasn't willing to give oral, you'd go to a sex worker. Um, because again, the the thought at the time was good girls don't do that. You know, mm-hmm. you, you go to these these sex workers who will, are willing to do anything for a dollar. Um, so, you know, a lot of their a lot of their money came from fellatio. And and if a John did want full on sex, then the sex worker would simply hike up their dress or skirt. And it turns out there was really like never a need to be fully naked at the, in this profession. I think so the fact, that's that, that's true the case, as well. Yeah. So that's the fact that they were found <clears throat> completely nude is is a huge like he had to strip them of their clothes. Yeah. So that's it was why a, he was, it was Jack a, the stripper. A conscious act to remove all their clothing. Right. And because again, I haven't, when I say like, oh, it's probably the case now, the same. It's not because I've, <laughs> I've been a John. It is like, <laughs> you know, watching cops and stuff and you see, you know, when they do these busts and stuff, they're never like undressing. They're just, Mm -hmm. they're wearing clothing that they can easily gain access to without removing clothes because they're trying to be inconspicuous in a vehicle, right? You know, when you said that, I wasn't thinking like, oh, Will has experience. That's not my first thought. I was just thinking like, yeah, that makes sense. But now when you said it, I'm like, oh, maybe he does. So you say, you say it's kind (laughs) of like the the lady does protest too much. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have experience in it, okay? The audience? Not, not a lot of, not a lot of experience. Not a lot of experience. No, but yeah, I just, uh, and obviously Jack the stripper uh, is a rip off Jack the Ripper because Jack the Ripper also, if you know that story in 18, 1885, uh, somewhere around there, he was killing uh, sex workers of the time in Whitechapel. And, you know, he was way more brutal. He would, he, fucking eviscerated women and, and cut parts off and he, he was he was insanely yeah he was insanely masochistic I guess is the word where Jack the Stripper he kills women but not he's not in it for the the blood he's not in it for all the innards but yeah so it's a playoff Jack the Ripper uh, for the very much similarities and then now even more so that Jack neither Jacks have been caught 
they don't know who either Jack is. Yeah, it just makes me uh, realize how clever the media is. They're not. It's a oh, joke. Yeah, I was, I was, my face is like, well, dude, no. What? No, they're not. <laughs> no. It's like, oh, uh, what can we call it? How, how about Jack the Stripper? Fuck they're probably is. so proud. Patting themselves on the back. Oh, they're yeah. They're probably so proud of that. They're like, oh, my God, people are going to eat this shit up. Uh, they did, though. They did, though. So they were right. No, yeah, it worked. It just... <laughs> Someone thought Fenty. they were so fucking clever. Oh, I'm like, sure they you're, did. You're not clever, but okay. So on November 25th, the nude body of Frances Brown was found on Horton Street in Kensington, and her body was a little different. All the other victims were left out in plain sight. However, Brown's body had been at least attempted to be covered just a little bit with some branches and a trash can lid. However, she fit the victim profile exactly. Five foot two, STDs, dark hair, ligature marks, missing teeth, and again, most importantly, microscopic paint splatter. One thing that makes this murder a little more shitty is that Francis had a friend named Kim Taylor, who was a fellow sex worker, and because of the killing of sex workers, they decided to team up and work together. If a John walked up, the other would get a good look at the guy and remember details, and they each carried a knife to protect not only themselves, but each other. The last time Kim saw Francis was on October 23rd when they were standing outside together when two cars pulled up at the same time. So obviously they had to split. But before they did, they each took the time to look at the make and model of the car their friend got into, which Taylor described the car Francis got into as either a Ford Zephyr or a Ford Zodiac. She was also able to get a good enough look at the guy's face to make a composite drawing. And she said he was a stocky man of medium height with a round face. And I think I did see a picture of this composite drawing. It wasn't very good. This no. doesn't surprise me that they didn't get anybody off of this composite. But still, like, it was just like they were so cautious. Like, that when I read this, I was like, damn, dude, they took like every step they needed to to protect each other and themselves. And mm-hmm. it didn't help. It still wasn't good enough. <clears throat> no, you see the, uh, the composite sketch and you're like, Look like a man. Oh, you get yeah, yeah looking like a man. Looking like a man. Yeah, just there's not a lot of detail in it other than, again, medium height with a round face. It's like, okay, you named uh, 80% of British men. So it, it, it does make sense why it didn't really help. Yeah, it really didn't. It's just and a also, very generic looking yeah, composite sketch. All the Englishmen in 1960s. Uh, which which one are you describing? All of them? Yeah. Yeah. It, again, well, I think I think I saw it. I'm pretty sure I did when I, I came across it. Um, so if I find it again, I'll, we'll post it. So you can see that, of course, they weren't going to catch anybody off this fucking drug. Mm-hmm. On February 16th, uh, 28-year-old Bridget O'Hara was also known or also known as Bridie was found behind the Heron Trading Estate in a shed. All the signature markings of Jack the Stripper were found. Bridget was a sex worker, but she was not like the others um, before her. She moonlighted as a sex worker. But during the day, she was a mother to two children. She had a husband. She lived a seemingly regular life. And her neighbors had no idea she went out at nights just to make a little bit of extra money. The last time anyone saw her was January 11th with three men near the Highland Park Station. Two of the men had Welsh accents and the third was an elderly man. 
The weird part of Bridget's murder was that even though it had been over a month since she since she was last seen, she wasn't decayed. Instead, it seems she had been partly mummified. Do they know why? I think they figure out why. I think she was held in the in the place where he kept them longer. Oh, uh, okay. And I think just the um the conditions, the yeah. Conditions, yeah, thank you. The conditions just kind of led to a slower decay and mummifying. It wasn't a full mummification, just it was weird they that were she more, wasn't more decayed. Yeah, more preserved mm-hmm. than what you would normally expect for a body. Yeah, especially a month. I mean, there's no doesn't mean she died that day. So, I mean, she could have died a few weeks because it was a whole month. Yeah, but it was the a, fact that she was modified. It was a yeah missing case. Mm-hmm. Found the body, so yeah, they don't know exactly when. But I think she the fact was that she was mummified but... a little bit probably does mean she died pretty soon after she disappeared. Yeah, because it takes time to do that. I think it takes way more time to mummify than to decay. Yeah. So this this last murder uh, of Bridget O'Hara, uh, the last murder. This one caused the investigation team to get all new leadership. And this new leadership literally went out and had um, patrolmen write down the plates of every single car they saw driving around after sunset. The next day, they would look up who the car belonged to and call them in for a formal interview. Damn. Can you Uh, imagine that happening nowadays? That's so many cars. Well, let alone the amount of cars, the amount of backlash that would oh yeah that's that would occur like wait what i'm not allowed to be out whenever i want yeah Yeah. no fuck you i ain't coming in for an interview yeah but i think hammersmith is a very specific part of london if i'm not mistaken it's it's like a a barrio what we would call a barrio in spanish a neighborhood or um a town uh, a subset i'm not really sure what it would be in english um so i think in the area, it wasn't that big. So I, since every all the murders were localized to Hammersmith, it probably was simpler than we're making it seem. But still, that's quite the undertaking. Yeah, it's considered a uh, district. District. That's the word I was looking for. Dude, tip of my tongue, I swear. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, a, a district of uh, London. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of gastropubs now. Yeah, see, I told you it's posh. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty sure that I, I looked up, what I looked up looked fairly nice. Yeah, no, it looks super uh, nice. Yeah, right next to the Thames and all this. Yeah, this, like the author said that he was, when he visited the place to retrace the steps of all the murders, he went to a bar and had a, or a pub, and then went to the beer garden to relax by the river. So, it's, I mean, I met, that's what made me think mostly that, yeah, this is a nice part of, of London. Yeah. No, so the next yeah, it is for sure. Yes. Yeah. So the next step was to recruit more <laughs> young, beautiful women, so they can basically use these young cops as bait. Um, this obviously caused a few problems, especially with the sex workers who saw that once these infiltrators were known to be out there, it killed business almost completely. Not to mention just how fucking dangerous the job was. You know what I mean? Just to be the cop women out there as bait. Yeah, guess what? You're going to go stand on the street corner. You're going to wear some skimpy-ass clothing. And you're going to try and catch some Johns coming through. And we're going to stop them before hopefully they kill you if this is the serial killer. Good luck. 
Have fun. Yeah, it just reminds me of South Park. Everything reminds me of South Park. But the episode where he, the, the cop goes out to, uh, he dresses up as a woman and collects evidence, but he collects it in his ass because it's all semen. <laughs> have you not seen that episode? Uh, no, I have not. Your roommate standing ominously behind you. Yeah, I can feel it. Yeah, he's it's ominous. Yeah. I, it's a shadow figure. He's gone now. He's gone. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Like that. Uh, yeah, but that episode of South Park always made me laugh because, like, dude, you don't have to collect the evidence with your butt, dude. <laughs> Anyways, but it, what I was saying is, like, they were out there doing this dangerous job, but do you think the top brass gave a fuck? No, they were out here trying to catch a serial killer. They were doing what they had to, you know? They, they, they didn't care about had that. To be done. No, they wanted results. They cared about the results, not about these young cops. They'll be fine. Plus just the... I think the culture back then with female cops and stuff too is like, okay, you can't do the real police work, but we can, uh, you look you pretty, up. yeah, you look yeah. pretty enough. We can throw you out on the street and you can try and catch some, some Johns lure, trying to get, get lucky. Lure a dangerous man in your web. It's like know. watching cops from the nineties and they do those prostitutions things. Yeah. And you see the, the female cops, Cops getting all dolled up wearing like Daisy Dukes and all the male cops are like, holy shit. <laughs> this is my coworker. So Sally? <laughs> take you home after. Man, the 90s were a time. Oh, they were. So the next phase of their operation was to send hundreds of patrolmen all over West London to search all the shops that painted stuff. Anybody that had paint, painted anything, you bought paint, anything. They were all investigated. They did this because forensics had finally narrowed down the exact type of paint used. And the reason they were searching the shops at all was to see if any of them had a match. Because this is a very specific uh, color combination. This is a very specific type of paint. They eventually found a match at one place called Heron's Trading Estate, which was an abandoned property. And it should sound familiar. That's where the last murder victim was uh, was found. At Heron's? Uh, yeah, Heron's trading estate. Um, I think, I okay, so I'm not sure if it was an abandoned property. I read a source that said it was, and then the book said that it wasn't. So I'm not sure. It's, I, I really don't know what's going on with that. Um, but so this uh, trading estate um, had on it an electricity substation. And when they traced the cables coming out of the transformers, they found it led to a small hidden crawl space. And in these crawl spaces, they found paint cans that perfectly matched the splatter on the bodies. Power that had been diverted to these crawl spaces also heated the area. So it was very likely this is where the bodies were stored before being dumped at the various sites and probably where that body had mummified a little bit because of the, the heat, humidity, or, or the warmness <clears throat> of the crawl space. Yeah, uh, humidity will tend to um, make things decay quicker. <clears throat> so get- I, I don't know what it was. I don't think it was as, I think it was a very dry mm-hmm. environment because it was probably underground. Yeah. It, was, um, it sounded like it was like underneath like a walkway is what it sounded like. It, it, the only thing they described as was a crawl space. So I don't know what that means exactly. Yeah. I think the environment down there was, had good conditions where it didn't promote a lot of bacterial growth where you would get the, the decomposition uh, that starts. Um, I think that the assumption is she was down there for quite some time, like almost the entire time. So yeah, I mean, it 
and obviously the other women, the other women that when they started finding them not in the river, that they were there for quite some time because obviously they had the, this paint splatter all over them. Um, but they think that if the other, the original women had not been found in the river, they probably would have found the same specs. But I mean, the one of them was in there for a week, you know. Yeah, so it's all, all the, washed, washed off. And, in it, the, and it wasn't like the Thames is like, at the time, it wasn't like the Thames was the cleanest river in the world. You know, a lot of shit in there to, you know, contaminate the body even further. Mm-hmm. So they think that if they had found these bodies not in the river, they would have found the same paint specs. And that, that is the, aside from the, clearly the, the, the vast, uh, similarities between them, you know, the, the size, the, all the markings on them, the paint itself is, it's a very specific paint so that a hundred percent links every murder to the other one. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So now that they had found the stripper's lair, they canvassed the area and interviewed thousands of people and ultimately narrowed it down to three people and then down to one, but still no arrests were ever made. Uh, in a way, it was still a win because Bridget would be the last known victim of Jack the Stripper. I could see that as a win. Yeah, I think they found his lair. I mean, obviously, the guy's not going to go back there. Mm-hmm. They know that they're watching every neighborhood or part of the district now. Obviously, he moved his uh, dumping grounds when they started patrolling the river. So they were just zeroing in on him more and more. So I think any other misstep would have led to his capture. Mm-hmm. So I think he was he's like, yeah, it's probably the end of the road. Yeah, and it, it, it definitely makes sense. Not going to be like, ah, all right, I guess my run's over. They know my area. They know my MO. It's going to be very difficult for me to get away with it going forward. So, yeah. Well, so yeah, I mean, it, they didn't catch the guy, but they stopped him as far mm-hmm. as we know. So, I mean, good on them. And they, they really did. I Usually, you know, I don't really care what the police, about the police, but this time, I got to give it to them. They were on it from the beginning. Yeah. And one of the main um, investigators was uh, a man named. DeRose. Um, he was like the front man leading the investigation. And so when mm-hmm. we talk about um, the possible suspects, because again, this is still a unsolved. So when I talk about these suspects, they were just, you know, people of interest that they couldn't um, rule out entirely. Yeah. Or they couldn't, some of them they ruled out and some of them they just couldn't nail a hundred percent to the crime itself. I see. Um, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those being a, a man named Mungo Ireland. It's not Mungo? Mungo. You can call him Mungo. That sounds funny. I was saying Mungo, Mungo. just because I'm thinking like Spanish while well, we're in. Irish? Yeah. Mungo. Um, I don't know. M- Mungo sounds way funny. <laughs> yeah, Mungo. Let's go Mungo. I'm just going to call yeah, him go. Ireland. Okay. <laughs> um, and... Ended up being one of the one of the number one guys. They have one that they fingered the most, <laughs> uh, but they fingered uh, Mister Ireland as well. Um, and he was on the radar before Ireland, Mister Mungo himself, committed suicide. Oh shit! Now, <clears throat> Mungo was raised Catholic. Uh, he served in the military before he tried a career in law enforcement 
which he quickly realized that it just wasn't for him. He, uh, I think, what he said, he was disgusted by uh, working in law enforcement. But in 1964, um, he was actually working as a security guard at the, probably could guess it, the Heron Trading Estate, which we talked about earlier. And again, this was a key detail in the investigation because investigators had found the flecks of paint on Bridget O'Hara's body, which was traced back to that trading estate building. And he also, because he was a security guard, also had access to that uh, electrical substation. So he kind of just fit perfectly in the investigator's pocket of being, this is our guy. Yeah, obviously. Because in the book details, whoever had routed these cables from that transformer at the substation mm -hmm. knew about the housing codes. They had different voltage. And he knew how to route it correctly. So the fact they knew about this is a straight up like red flag. Yeah. And again, this is one of the reasons why he's like, hey, this is our guy. He's, he worked at the trading estate. He was a security guard, so he had access to had the, the substation. Yeah. Like, hey, this is working out perfectly. Yeah. However... In March of 65, shortly after investigators had started to piece together this puzzle, um, Ireland parked his car in a locked garage and ran a hose into his window, effectively killing himself via carbon monoxide poisoning. Dang. His wife would eventually find a note that he had written, and um, he left it on the kitchen table in their home, said, I can't stick it out any longer. It may be my fault, but none all. Not all of it. I'm sorry, Harry's a burden to you. Give my love to the kid. Farewell, Jacques. Because he went by, it was Mungo Jacques Ireland. So. Mm, got it. Oh, P.S. To save you and the police looking for me, I'll be in the garage. It's better. I like it more. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Now, this seems like a pretty cut and dry confession. But is there more to his story. Yeah. You know, th they figured there's probably a couple other uh, reasons why he would commit suicide. Um, they found out that his marriage was on the rocks. Um, and also he was wanted by the police on some motoring charges, like traffic in infractions. Um, so hmm. he was wanted by the police. He's wanted for infractions on the road that either that's but a lot of infractions or that's some serious infractions. Yeah, they called motoring offenses. What they were, I don't know, but he was yeah, wanted. As far as motoring offenses go, how were you wanted? Like, unless you hit and run somebody? Yeah, or, uh, fail, or, fail or to had appear. a lot. Yeah, fail oh, to appear. That's true, too. Turns into a, a bench warrant. I don't know how it works back then. But essentially, that's or, how it works now. You just, if you're supposed to appear someplace and you don't, then they put a bench warrant out and it could be yeah. for something so fucking stupid. But, yeah, plus uh, the the marriage on the rocks thing makes sense when with the note, I can't mm -hmm. stick it any longer. It might be my fault. Not all of it, meaning like I mean, every marriage is two sided. Mm -hmm. I mean, Harry's, sorry, that Harry's their son. Yep, is that their son? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, reading the note in context of a failed marriage is definitely very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Still suspicious as fuck. Oh, it is. Because um, th- they were thinking like, oh, he killed himself before he was going to be arrested for... Yeah, they knew they, they were on a tail. Yeah, they started yeah. piecing the... the you could feel the, the heat. Puddle, puzzle pieces <laughs> together the- and like, hey, hold on a second. This guy worked at the place where the paint was found, had access to the substation where the actual paint was stored and the bodies were probably stored before they were dumped. Hey, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk to this guy. Oh, oh he kills himself? Hmm. Uh, hmm. But also, hmm. one of the things, too, that uh, kind of ruled in his favor uh, in not being the killer was that his work records um, showed him that he was actually home in Scotland on the night of O'Hara's disappearance, the last uh, murder victim. And so they couldn't pinpoint him to the area at the time of the disappearance because his work records show that he was actually at home in Scotland. Dang. So, so it's not a perfect match, but still. It was a person of interest that they couldn't fully talk to because he killed he himself. He wasn't around. Yeah. Yeah, the heat. He felt the heat. Got hot. Got hot. Get out of the kitchen. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. Now we move on to uh, a man named Freddie Mills, who is also another person of interest in the Jack the Stripper case. Mills was born in 1919, and by the time he was a teenager, he was already becoming an excellent fighter. Uh, He would box at fairground booths um, and started competing as a light heavyweight in 1936. And by 1948, he had won numerous titles throughout Europe and defeated an American boxer named Gus Lesnovich for the world title. Dang, this guy's impressive. He's a fighter. That's that's an impressive resume. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1950, he would eventually lose his world title to a different American boxer and then decided, hey, this is my time to retire um, a couple weeks after losing his title. So he got into the nightclub business. He opened up a club in the Soho district in, in London. Uh, became a TV personality and then devoted his spare time to teach boxing to the youths in the area. Utes. Utes, the two Utes. The Utes. Have you seen the the movie The Gentleman? I think it's a, it's a Guy Ritchie movie. Pretty new the with Gentleman. Uh, oh, yes. Daughter with uh, Matthew McConaughey. And, yes, and, where uh, he's a drug Colin dealer. Farrell. Yep. Yeah, Colin Farrell's a boxer. It reminds me of Colin Farrell. Yeah. That, or, that was uh, a good fucking movie. By that was a, the way. That was a that really was a, good movie. That was, I saw that recently. And like, I can't stop. It's one of my top 10, probably. I, I love that movie. Guy Ritchie yeah, is, it, a, is a dude, fantastic phenomenal. fucking director. So he's, good. He's great. Everyone, like, dude, you knew what astounded me was um, he, uh, fucking he, the guy, uh, John Hughes. Um, Hughes. Uh, the guy who usually plays in rom-coms. In, in, oh, um. Yeah, the tall guy. The, the guy who was in Bridget's Diary. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but him, seeing him not in a rom-com like position or, or role was really like, it threw me off at first. Like, this guy is not some kind of gangster. Like, what? And then by the end, it was like, this guy, is, this guy fucks. Yeah. Like, yeah. He can do... It was, 
other stuff other than rom-coms for sure yeah, and it worked it, i at the end of it by the end of it i was like yeah this isn't that guy anymore this is the character this is the journalist like this guy's doing this guy's fucking killing that movie was great if you don't if you haven't seen that movie do yourself a favor that movie is great it's really good it's, and then if you've never seen a guy Ritchie film before if this is your first one you gotta watch the rest of his work because he's got some really 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 good movies hugh grant hugh, hugh grant. grant yeah yeah yeah, he's got, he's got good movies, Rock and Roll. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Doesn't he do two smoking barrels or yeah. long shot? Lock, stock, and two smoking Lock, barrels, stock. which is really yeah. fucking good. Mm-hmm. Seven, um, Slevin, lucky number Slevin. Is that him? Lucky right? number Slevin, yep. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, That the point was Colin Farrell's role in The, the Gentleman as a boxer who uh, who is a, he's a tough guy, but he also takes care of the Utes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That reminded me of this guy. Oh, yeah. For sure it is. Um, and so he, you know, started the, the whole nightclub business and it was going well until the early sixties when his nightclub started to take a shit and he became inundated with financial problems until finally in July of 65 Mills parked his car behind his nightclub and shot himself in the head. Damn. What is with these people? I know now again, this is like the speculation side of things, right? There was talks like, okay, well it was ruled a suicide, but it, he was shot in the head twice, twice, twice. So twice. Yeah. And again, it's like, it's the talk around town. Did he, like, did he stab himself 11 times in the back and throw himself off bridge? I don't know. You're talking about <laughs> that crazy guy in Russia. To, to try to no, kill no, that's, that's from a movie. Analyze this. Oh, uh, I was talking about like Ra- this. Rasputin, the guy they try to kill. Oh no, they they couldn't kill him. No, no. He, had a, he had a big old dong. But yeah, they're like, wait, this is kind of fishy that he had two gunshot wounds. He had two gun to the head. Mm-hmm. Wow, no, that's not likely. <laughs> and if he if it, if he did, okay, if he did do it himself, he was hell bent on murdering himself yeah the first time he flinched and blew off an ear and then the second mm-hmm. one he he got it right i don't know yeah he got it right dude i don't know how that's possible you yeah. think after the first shot if it, if you survive it you're like well i guess that's a sign but he was determined mm-hmm. and then more information uh was revealed in 2001 and this is a 60s case mm-hmm. um but a lot of this stuff that comes out is from the modern era now, 2000s plus, where people are diving into this case because it's unsolved. So they're, you know, diving into these people. And, and they so they, DNA they dove, now. Yeah, they, they dove into um, to Mills and they believed he killed himself because he was about to be arrested for the stripper case. Um, and the this new information was stemming from multiple off the record interviews with up and coming boxers from around his time too. This is just locker room talk for him. Literally. Yeah. And and again, he said, she said type of shit. Cause there was Mm -hmm. a gangster named Frankie Frazier, um, who was the originator of the suggestion that Mills was indeed the Hammersmith nudes murder or, he was the stripper because mm-hmm. <clears throat> Frazier told this information to a police officer named Bob Barry, who then told this to a Sun Crime reporter 
a crime reporter um, named Michael Litchfield. And it gets a little convoluted because Frazier claims that he got the information from DeRose, who was the investigator. Yeah. Because Miller himself confessed it to him. But then when DeRose published his autobiography, uh, Mills was never mentioned as being a suspect in the case. And in the oh. end, he never was considered a suspect in the murder case. So all that shit he still is ruled out. Correct. It, okay, see, so from the moment, I mean, obviously, gangster Frankie, Frankie Frazier, gangster mm-hmm. Frankie Frazier, he, um, was it him? Like, because he's pointing the fingers. No, he, he just, he's saying like, hey, I got this information. There was no, another. No, I know. no, I know. But like, he said that, um, he said that so-and-so told him and then actually he heard it from this other guy who heard it from this other guy. Yeah. And this guy yeah. told this guy and he told me, you know, I heard it from, so, you guy. know. All right. I guy. just feel like this is too much runaround. Like for me at this point, Frankie Frazier, Frankie Frazier needs to be looked at. I don't think they looked at Frankie Frazier. He was just no, a gangster. I, don't, I, don't, I doubt he had anything to do with it, but it's just kind of like, dude, why are you pointing fingers? Like, especially since none of it was why are you snitching? Corroborated. Yeah, you're you're a gangster. Why are you snitching on me? Why are you being a snitch, bro? Um. Yeah. So, but it's just yeah, all of that just for him to not even be considered a suspect. It, it, yeah, in the end, they're like. No, he was never a suspect. There was nothing like linking him, really. He just, Dang. some gangster said, No, no, I heard from uh, one of your investigators here. Uh, yeah, a guy told uh, me, see? A guy told me here. Your investigator told me, and he told him, and uh, they came back and told me again. The guy with the red hat down the street, he told me, see? Yeah, see, it's funny, see? <laughs> funny. Oversized <laughs> hat, see? <laughs> now we talk about the, what would be the main. The you know the main guy that we finger. <laughs> now there's one man that we're gonna finger for this. We're gonna finger Harold Jones, and he only became like the top suspect um, in 2011, May of 2011. Dang, took some time. That's a long time. Yeah, 60 to 11. That's 45. 46 years again this is people that were looking into it um oh the microscope from, yeah, yeah from yeah, the yeah. outside in like writing books and diving Taking into all, people looking at it as a whole instead of uh you know piece by piece they're like mm-hmm. they have all the evidence from everybody who's ever investigated yep and okay. because jones was a convicted murderer in 1921, a 15-year-old Jones was convicted of the brutal murders of two young girls in the small mining town that he lived in. Wasn't he from Wales? Uh, it was uh, Abertillery. Mm-hmm. the name of the, the little mining town. What he did was he lured 8-year-old Frida Burnell to the back of his family shop, strangled her, and dumped her body in a nearby street. Mm. Now, he was arrested but was acquitted due to lack of evidence. And what, so he was uh, acquitted. Was this the guy? I think I heard about this in the book. I think this is the main suspect in the book. Was he the one that the, his dad was like, Hey, good job. I knew it wasn't you. You know, you beat the, you beat the odds. There's not enough evidence. Good job. Like he was super excited about it. Yeah. So basically he came back to the town like as a hero. Oh, okay. Um, after his acquittal, he came back and, you know, he was seen 
as a hero because the townspeople were convinced that he had been set up by the London detectives who had been sent to assist in the investigation. Nah. Yes. So he comes back. He's like, <laughs> they got it right. It wasn't me. See? And one man who welcomed him uh, heartily back to the town was a man named George Little. He was a next-door neighbor and close friend of the Jones family. But then, just days later, Harold Jones lures George's 11-year-old daughter, Florence Little, into his home and then murdered her as well. Jesus. Her body was discovered in the Jones family's attic. And it was the young Harold's father who furiously chased his son through the streets and actually apprehended him. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Again, he's uh, he's fifteen. Yep, and two two murders. Mm-hmm. Young people too. Yes, brutal murders. Mm-hmm. So he was arrested. He served twenty years in prison. He wasn't given life sentence because he was a minor. What was the what was the uh, the charge they gave him at his at his Majesty's uh, behest? I think, which means that which means that the royal family says when basically, like there's no limits and there is no uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it's you're gonna serve there's no time. minimum. There's no yeah, minimum and there's no maximum. Yeah, you're gonna serve time until we feel that you've learned yeah. your lesson. So. In his case, it was 20 years. He served 20 years. So in 1941, he was released uh, on good behavior, which was against the recommendations of both the governor and the prison psychiatrist. Because they're like, they never hey, he's, to uh, he's crazy. He can do it again. Like, don't let yeah, him yeah, but dude, what did they know? They've only spent every day with him for the past 20 years. Yeah. No, they don't know shit. They're they've like, only, no, 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 they've only they've only taken the time to evaluate him and to um talk to him and see what he's all about for the past 20 years. Why would they know? No, fuck that. They know better. He's going he's fine. He's fine, dude. He's fine. Trust us. Yeah. It It's absurd, but they he was released uh instead of Holding him, they're like, okay, well, he's going to go into the armed forces to kind of show that he has changed, you know, his character. He's He's been rehabilitated. He's, he's about to enlist in the military. Yep. And then he's he disappeared. his country. Oh, he disappeared. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. No, he planned on it. He told him, he promised him, hey, I'll go in the military. I oh, promise. He, he did? He, oh. I promise. Damn, I'll go wonder, in the military. I wonder what happened. He's so trustworthy. I wonder what happened mm-hmm. to him. Now he just disappeared. Okay. Until 1948. So seven years goes by. And because he wasn't tracked in those seven years, he wasn't in the military. Um, he was just released. Uh, Changed his name. Yep. Well, multiple times. But they're like, hey, dude, what did he do in those seven years? He could have been out killing people just all willy-nilly. And no just one would have known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows where he is. Yeah. Because he, re- he reappeared in 1948. This time he was going by the name of Harry Stevens and he was living in Fulham. Fulham. Fulham? Fulham. Fulham. I think Fulham. We'll, we'll get there. I like Fulham. Yeah. We'll say Fulham. And the town or the street that he was living on was a lower middle class um, sector, which was known to have a bunch of uh, World War II widowers mm. who they either kind of 
uh, pulled in uh, stragglers or vagabonds that needed a place to stay. They would stay with them or they would just rent it out like a Airbnb hmm. to make some more income. Right. And he lived there, I believe it was 14 years until he again disappeared in 1962. And this time stayed off the radar radar for about four years uh, before moving on to um, Aldensley Road, which was, I think, two miles away from his previous location. But this time his name was Harry Jones. Now, the interesting thing about his time spent under the radar was that all of the murders except for one took place during that timetable. While no one had any track or idea of where he was. <clears throat> one, yeah. And one of the unique clues was on the night of January 1st, 1965, O'Hara, the last victim, was seen out with an older man. And it also just so happens that January 1st is Jones's birthday. So... Coincidence? Mm, was she out celebrating with with Jones and that led to her murder after we don't know. I don't know. It's unsolved, but Jones eventually died of cancer in 71 and on his death certificate, um, it listed his occupation as a night watchman security guard. Yeah. Which would give him the perfect job and the opportunity to carry out the murders. And a lot of the questions are stemming like, hey, did he did he work as a security guard at the trading uh, estate? You know, that's still somewhat unanswered because um, obviously the, the time Different that names. it took place and um, they didn't keep a great track of employment documentation of who's plus, employed. Plus there's stuff. no telling if he's his real name or not. Exactly. And they're like, dude, he yeah. was just cruising around with a fake name. Um, it, it said that he was employed as a metal worker at the industrial state, but um, they're more concerned with <clears throat> was he a security guard and would have access to that that uh, electrical substation. And there is even some, uh, I don't want to say conspiracy theorists, but, but thoughts on that um, Jones and uh, Ireland actually knew each other and they they conspirated together to commit these murders. And the reason why Ireland wasn't there when the last murder happened, he was in Scotland is because Jones was the one that killed that last victim and disposed of her body. That makes sense. Cause when you said that um, he wasn't in the country at the time when the last murder happened in my head, I immediately went to, okay, so at this point it's all over the press Papers are out. Everyone knows that there's a serial killer killing a specific type. Um, copycats are a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, if he wasn't around and this is the last one, then, you know, I, my original thought was a copycat, but this makes way more sense that they would conspire together, you know, if work as a team to get this done. But um, <clears throat> I think I remember there was because of the fact that when the patrol upped in the uh, the river and they started putting uh, more people on the street, uh, every time that they the police did something to try to capture this guy, he would move on to the next area. And a lot of people think that, okay, well, how did he know that the 
they were going to do this and how did he escape evasion so much? And it's because the person was actually part of the police force. And it's unclear who, obviously this again, unsolved case. We don't know exactly who is part of this, but it, it seems as though the person knew more than the public did in, in terms of security, in terms of the patrols that they were doing. So, you know, it very well could have been a police officer that was doing it because how else would he know when to not dump a body in the river? How else would he know that they were onto his property where he hid the bodies? You know, so that that's a theory too, that the person was in the police force. Yeah, there was a mention of it. Um, and they were talking about um, the... Wasn't he like a big deal? Yeah, there was a, there was a police force um, that did like special investigations um, called the, the Flying Squad. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, okay, well, with being part of the Flying Squad, they would have more access to records and they are you know a special unit so they're not they fly under the radar a little bit better than the normal beat cop type of thing so so it almost seemed like they were saying that this person was investigating themselves Mm -hmm. yeah but really uh, again maybe the good kill yeah i don't know i haven't no i haven't seen that i don't think with the pacino and uh can't, uh, uh, De, Niro, have, De Niro and Pacino and they're, they're uh, cops and they're investigating uh, I think, murders. I think my and, brother owned that movie and I think he was watching it. I probably watched it with my brother. I just really don't remember it. Yeah, the, the same thing. They're they're yeah. both detectives and they're investigating murders and you find out at the very end that Pacino is the one. He's investigating was, himself. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, again, this just like Jack the Ripper, this is... 60, so we're at 60 years out, almost 60 years out, and still unsolved. It looks like it's going to stay that way for a while. Uh, yeah, and, and unless they find more evidence or they can start using... Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know how... Forensic, how but person, that's going to be difficult. I don't, though. like, again, I don't know what the purpose of him um, stripping them down was for. I mean, they... Even if, so, I mean, these are sex workers. So the guy, if he did leave semen, um, it, it's no way of telling it's his, you mm-hmm. know, these are sex workers. Plus, and if he did leave semen on the clothes, he took the clothes and the clothes were never found ever. So, um, or it could yeah, have I don't just know. been like his way of saying, I don't agree with sex workers and this is my way to quote unquote mutilate the body. Just leave them naked. This is what they deserve. Yeah. Kind of like a, um, a grim sleeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I just, it's crazy how he had enough foresight to destroy evidence without knowing what evidence was necessarily. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, like a Golden State Killer, they, they've, he left, I mean, BTK left a lot of evidence, you know, especially DNA evidence, uh, i.e., sperm. Um, and now because of advancements in technology, advancements in forensics and stuff, they caught him. They know exactly who he is because they left behind DNA evidence. But this guy didn't. And and even if he did in the first couple, they were washed away in the river. And mm-hmm. then the, one of them was mummified. Like he, I don't know how he did it, but he knew enough or just got lucky enough, I think, to destroy anything that linked him to it. Or, or 
he suicided. He unalived himself before they can get to him. Yeah. Well, again, it's one of those we might not never know. Yeah. We might know, but also we'll never know for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's the story of Jack the Stripper, which usually I, dude, I hate unsolved cases like this. I don't, I like a ending, but the name Jack the Stripper was like, I'm doing a story on Jack the Stripper. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm not, not doing a story on Jack the Stripper. <laughs> yeah. Stripper in it. We're doing it. All right. Well, uh, as usual, hit us up on the socials, uh, tweet at us, send us an email. You can leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm. Any cases you want us to cover, um, you could uh, leave money for us if you want Ooh, by going to anchor.fm. Uh, what else? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, you know how it goes. Yeah. All the socials. Yeah. Tell, your, tell your friends about us. That's how I think that's how we're going to do it. I think you got to tell your friends that you like us and give us a chance. Yeah. And then they'll tell their friends. Word of mouth, I think. Share our posts. You know, word of mouth, I think, is how we're going to get out there right now. I mean, we gotta count on the fans. If you I think at it. this point we have probably like forty-three loyal listeners. Like as soon as we post this episode, we'll have forty-three listeners within the first twelve hours. You know, and those guys, I think that's who we're counting on. If you listen to this episode right away, share it, please. We want to get yeah, we want to get this out to the masses and get some more listeners and and you know get these stories out and our what we like to. <laughs> our enjoyment in doing these and get, get it out to more, uh, more ears. Yep. So if you could do that, we'd appreciate it. And we will see you next week. Hopefully Emily will be back by then. Yeah. See you next week guys. Love you. Bye. Bye.